Welcome to the milk bar. 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 Welcome along to episode 569 of the milk bar. Jason Forrest here with you as ever. And coming up on the show, we'll be hearing about the band Tiny Stills. We'll have music from Peter Davis and Matthew James Nicholas hearing new music from both of those. We'll have a laugh. Oh, a laugh or a laugh, however you want to say it, uh, with Marlene Watson at the Black Country Wench joining us for a bit of a chat. James Williams of the Blue Orange Theatre lets us know what they're doing as far as increasing their production levels go, whilst they currently can't put anything on stage. We'll have a natter with Josh Griffiths about his film Mind, as we're currently in Mental Health Awareness Week. And we'll be having a chat with Alan Birch. He has got a two-minute movie competition in the horror genre that I'm sure you would love to take part in. Also, we'll have some crafting ideas from Radzi, but first of all... Laura Cortez and the Dance Cars are premiering their song, From the Ashes. To tell us more, I'm joined now by Laura. Hello. Hello. How's it going? All good with me. <laughs> I trust we find you well. Yeah, we're doing quite well. Of course, as I'm talking to you now, I'm attempting to bake some sourdough and my alarm has just gone off, so I got very distracted for just a second. But <laughs> so food is being prepared, which is I'm good. Back. <laughs> now, we find you in Belgium at the moment. That is true. I moved here about two years ago and I have my residency. This is my home now. Mm-hmm. But you've got many a friend in California, and this is where some of the uh, inspiration for the album has come from, isn't it? Yeah, I grew up there, actually. So San Francisco, California uh, is yeah where I was born and lived until I moved to Boston to study at Berklee College of Music. And yeah, so, so it's, it's always an inspiration point for me that, you know, the home place where I came from and, and quite a few of the songs or certainly on our last album was called California calling. And this song from the ashes, that single that just came out takes place, you know, it's a lot of images from my childhood and was inspired by some of the California fires. So it, it really is centered right there. <laughs> so California is a big part of your life. Obviously Belgium is too. And we're kind of somewhere in the middle, even though we're quite close to Belgium. Uh, so I mean, oh, yeah. do, do you like to perform across the UK as well? Oh, I, I love performing in the UK. It's one of my favorite places, partly because the audiences seem to be very sort of well-educated about music. You know, they they like listen to quite a, a diverse, you know, different styles. And you don't have so much people sitting in their one genre camp or another. They they seem to float around and listen to what they like. And, and that's it's an exciting, exciting thing to play for, you know, people who who have a variety of tastes. They're not just like, oh, well, if you're not going to play that exact thing that I, I know that I like, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> and the album itself, out in July, Bitter Better is the title of that one. And where is the inspiration coming across the board? As we know, From the Ashes is the current single, and that's obviously got its own place in your heart. But uh, what else are you singing about at the moment? I would say sort of intimate little stories. You know, From the Ashes, as you said, is, is my background. But... Um, Bitter Better is a lot of thinking about what goes into good relationships. I went through a divorce in 2013 and went on a bit of a, a hunt. The song Treat You Better is based on that. And I went on a bit of a hunt for like, what does make a good relationship? What 
what did I do wrong? You know, the big question you ask when you get divorced, I must have done something wrong. But, you know, just to think about the, the ways we miss each other, um, kind of a little glimpse into a personal relationship there. There's a song that it's really about, you know, losing, losing a friend to cancer and, and thinking about all the ways that you're, that people that you lose at some point visit you um, or, or where you connect with them. So there's all these like sort of tiny intimate glimpses into highly charged emotional moments and they each have their own, their own story. And it's through your life experiences that helps build the music and the sound that you have, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's, they're all pretty personal experiences. I, I would say with the exception of um, a song called younger man, where we're sort of tracing uh, in, in some cases we combined quite a few stories that we read about the use of field organs in World War II, living in Belgium, you know, World War II is a pretty big subject here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and my partner actually has several uh, of these harmoniums, these pump organs. And I had a friend back in Boston who also used to take a field organ everywhere with him and, and perform on it. And so we, we read up a lot on the use of field organs in World War II. And we told sort of a, a fictional story, but it has this, personal connection in that I wrote the riff for the song on field organ that is here in my house that is, uh, you know, would have potentially been used in World War II. But of course, Mm -hmm. the story itself is something we're imagining from things we read about different, you know, a chaplain, or we read this one incredible story about this um, chaplain and his field organ, and eventually the field organ is lost at sea. And then I think I can't remember when when the chaplain dies, but it's all it's all very dramatic. <laughs> there, I mean, there is drama in the album itself that through absolutely throughout, and I think the title "Bitter Better" kind of sums that up, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I feel like a lot of I mean, this is even before the current moments that we're all living in, but you know, the last few years have been pretty tumultuous in the world, and we were writing this album from a place of we're all kind of living in this heightened state of stress. But when we, when we listen to music and when we, when we, you know, step out of that for a second, we can't leave it entirely behind. The subjects don't go away, but we want the music to feel like a relief or a release from that. Mm-hmm. Um, always relating back to that stress, but, but with that sort of hopeful uplift um, as opposed to an escapist, Thing, or as opposed to like going down into the depths of despair with it, you know. Mm-hmm. You are Laura, Laura Cortez. The dance cards are effectively your backing band. So tell us a bit about them. It, realistically, they're they're more of a, it's more of a collective. I would say they mm-hmm. really co-wrote many of the songs on the album. They certainly participated in the arranging. Every note that they play is something that they felt inspired to play. Um, but it is a collective of. Uh, we have Valerie Thompson on cello. There's two different fiddle players, Jenna Moynihan and Samaya Jackson, who take turns. They don't usually end up playing on the same gig, but that was one of the things that was so great about recording is everybody came to Belgium to record while I was here getting my residency. And so mm-hmm. in, in a lot of cases for the first time, those players were playing in the same room or playing on the same song. Um, Jenny Magania and Zoe Gigano are both bass players with the band, but they're both multi-instrumentalists. And nearly everyone has their own other project. One sort of similarity to 
all of those players in general is everyone sort of has a connection to some kind of folk music that they have been participating in all along, whether they grew up going to a fiddle camp or have previously played with a bluegrass band. Most of us also went to Berkeley College of Music, which is not necessarily where we met, but it meant that we all were in Boston um, and were able to sort of connect with each other there as maybe more as adults than maybe if we met at fiddle camp when we were younger and really get a chance to experience each other's music collaboratively, but also mm-hmm. to witness what we were doing separately. This brings together your folk roots, dance, groove, synth sound uh, with some loops thrown in for good measure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's um, when, when I hear you say it, I, I think, yeah, those, those things are all in there. And, and I think the songwriting you know, melodically is influenced both by folk music, but also I listen to a lot of pop music. I listen to a lot of oldies, Motown, you know, classic melodies, but the soundscapes do include lots of synth, but also, you know, banjo and fiddles, folkier aesthetics. Mm -hmm. But one, the central thing we wanted on this album was good riffs, and strong grooves because we felt to really create that relief and the release that we wanted. One of the times that you have that feeling, no matter where you're coming from in a day, is when you're on the dance floor. Not necessarily like because you, you have smooth moves, but just because you're letting it all go. If you're just or if you're dancing in your own house when a really, you know, uh, just a song that makes you feel good comes on the radio mm-hmm. and you're moving your body, it kind of everything melts away. So we wanted those underlying grooves and the bass lines to lift up every song. Well, for those who wish to be lifted up, moved along, and enjoy this sound, where can they go to pre-order the album? This is lauracortese.com. Simple as that. <laughs> so that's that's the best spot. Vinyl, CD, uh, download. This is lauracortese.com. And... Yeah, there's also, of course, the first three singles are available on all streaming platforms if you want to get a taste before you pre-order. Yeah, so Laura Cortese and you on YouTube, Instagram, Laura Cortese, as this uh, as it is uh, on the website, or either this is at the front of it, and Laura Cortese Music on Facebook. You are everywhere. It's official. <laughs> it's hard to be a musician and not be everywhere these days. Absolutely. <laughs> We're sort of everywhere and nowhere right now. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well... From the Ashes is the single. Laura Cortese and the dance cards are who you're looking out for. Laura, lovely to speak to you. Thank you for joining us. And uh, I'll let you go back to the baking now. Thank you. Great to speak to you, Jason. I'll let you know how the sourdough turns out. (laughs) I come from fruit trees Bowed down in autumn heat Dry golden hills Laurel floating on the breeze From rumbling earth and seismographs Suspension bridges that bow and sway I come from the ashes of what was begun What will begin again I come from Bulls on a family tree framed in glass over a couch. 
TV presenter Radzi is leading the nation in a series of craft club online activities. And he joins me on the line now to tell me more. Hello, sir. Jason, how are you, mate? You happy and safe? I am. I trust you are too. Yes, indeed. In Wolverhampton, living the quarantine dream one day at a time. Well, this is it. I mean, you are from our fair city, even though you spend most of your time elsewhere these days when not held up by lockdown. I know, well, that's why I'm living the dream back in the West Mids where I belong. But it's, it's obviously not in the ideal circumstances, but... I'm here with my mum and my mum works for the NHS and so I've sort of seen firsthand and have, have seen all of my life, you know, how important the work that the NHS do and indeed that, that she does in getting the country back on its feet. Mm-hmm. Now, I th- last time I bumped into you in the city, you were down at Molyneux because you are doing some bits and pieces for Blue Peter. And is this where your crafting background begins or did you do that sort of thing before Sticky Back Plastic was a part of your life? <laughs> now, I've got to be honest, when it comes to arts and crafts, as much as I like doing it, I'm not very good at it. And so the nature of this collaboration that I'm involved with, with Sun Made Raisins, is we kind of came together and said, what could we do to give back to young people? And so there's a lot of support online for things such as learning, say, with, for example, BBC Learning, but not necessarily about getting creative. And so we thought of four particular makes that we could do. Now, when I used to work on Blue Peter, it was all about, we're going to show you in about four minutes how you do a make that maybe takes you up to an hour. Well, this is me doing it in real time. <laughs> so on the Sun Made Raisins Facebook page, it'll be me as of Monday, beginning the process of doing these makes for young people to join in at home. And so for example, we make a, a stationary holder where we thought, well, if young people are going to be doing possibly schoolwork on a table, in a lounge, or wherever it might be, it's not in their usual circumstance at school or on a desk. So we thought, why don't we make that space a lot better for them by being creative so they can almost be creative to make if you like their lives better as well and so it very much began at blue peter that process of learning it but we're taking it into a different concept now and and giving parents a chance to have a well-earned cup of tea whilst the kids get creative and get to use their imaginations and i'm sure california raisin boxes when glued together are going to form part of some of the kit at some point i'm going to guess you are exactly right. So whether it's their tubs or whether it's their boxes, they act as the core. The only thing you need are the sun-made boxes, the sun-made tubs. Anything else is a bonus. And so back in the day when I used to watch kids' TV and they'd say, you'd need a pipe cleaner. And I think, I don't have a pipe cleaner. I'm from Wolverhampton. Why am I going to have a pipe cleaner? But you don't need anything in particular. It's about being creative, using your imagination, and it's the stuff that's lying around the house. And so whether that's coloured paper, coloured cards, Felt tip pens, coloured pencils, crayons, ribbons, fabric, felt, you name it, we use the lot. And it really is about you can't be too creative, but it's your chance to kind of just be free to make something. And some of the things are fun, some of the things are really useful, but hopefully, regardless of what we make, 
all the young people will really get to enjoy it. And I, I take it, I mean, you've been stocking up on all this sort of stuff for your makes because you'll be practising as well as doing it, won't you, knowing you? See, and I'd love to say that I have been practising. <laughs> I'm going to be totally honest here. You watching me on Facebook doing it will be my first time doing it. So what could genuinely possibly go wrong? On, on <laughs> When you work on TV, they'll have maybe seven, eight stages which are already laid out for you. So even the person with the least artistic flair, namely myself, could do it and make it look good. This is me taking genuine household items and lying around and trying to turn it into something that's half decent. But the whole attitude, the whole mantra is give it a go. And it doesn't need to look like it's made by Van Gogh. It can just be function or it can be something that reflects how you felt at that moment in time. And with this lockdown of young people wanting to see their friends, wanting to get outside, one of the, th the subjects I used to love in school was DT. It was graphic design. It was being able to think of something and then create it. So we thought, why don't we try and bring that to the homes, whether it's a bird feeder, a dream catcher, making a bowling set, or indeed a stationary holder. We're doing a lot for you. So it'll all be there. This is all, as you say, courtesy of Sunmade California Raisins. Uh, they've teamed up with you to, to make all of this happen. And you get to do these fantastic makes. And I suppose, have you consulted your mother on this? Does she know that you're going to be nicking everything around the house to make these projects work? <laughs> well, my mum is many things. One of those things is a hoarder. She loves <laughs> to hold on to things, to quote her, just in case, because you never know when it will come in handy. Well, I hope my mum isn't listening to this interview because, mum, it has come in handy, which will justify years of holding on to things that we really don't need. So I've got an awful lot of stuff lying around the house. Uh, and so, yes, my mum is the perfect creative mother to have. Radzi, always good to catch up with you. Nice to see one of our own going off and doing great things across the UK and now working with the team at Sunmade California Raisins to bring some great stuff on screen. So what exactly do they have to search for to find you? Well, we'll be keeping you updated on the Sunmade Instagram page. We'll also be doing that on my personal Instagram page. And then finally, it will actually be taking place on the Sunmade Raisins UK Facebook page. So look out for all of that. Enjoy. Eat a few raisins along the way. They are good for you. And uh, enjoy <laughs> the, uh, the crafting courtesy of Radzi. Thank you, sir. Take care, mate. Stay healthy. Tell all my friends that I'm sorry for leading them on. I made them think I was fine, but I knew something was wrong. Thought that time would prove it's all in my head. But now I'm in too deep and alone and more scared than I've ever been. Cause it's so hard for me to be honest these days. I tell myself I'm doing okay. I don't want the world to think I'm weak. So I repeat it, repeat it, till I believe it, everything's going great. Just don't ask me how I really feel, I keep it all locked away. Yeah, everything's going great. Yeah, everything's going great. Yeah, everything's going great.
Tiny Stills have a brand new single and an amazing following. It is truly deserved because they're a wonderful band. To tell me more, I'm joined now by Kelly. Hello. Hey, how's it going? All good here. I trust we find you full of life and in fact full of coffee because I'm talking to you at a very strange time of day for you. <laughs> it is. It's very early here, but that's that's fine. I'm ready to go. <laughs> yeah, but so you're in LA? Yes, uh, in LA in a small garage right now, uh, which is where I live in a guest house in a back house in Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a bit about Tiny Stills. Uh, Tiny Stills is a band that started in 2014 as just me. And then uh, slowly over the years, we've added different members. Um, and it's been a rotating cast of characters kind of around me. And we have two records out um, two full-length records, and we just released an EP last year on Wiretap Records as a split with Odd Robot, and uh, that's the song that I sent to you. That's our new single, Everything's Going Great, and uh, that's that's us. Well, I mean, you've got a, a great video that goes along with it. That's all available on YouTube as well, and a chance to listen to and see the music. But I mean, when did this all happen? Because uh, I know you must have been working on this for a number of months now. Yeah, um, so... Like I said, this band's been a project since 2014. Mm -hmm. um, that song came out last year, um, and it it's about just feeling like everything's going wrong. Um, mm -hmm. It's a very sarcastic song. <laughs> um, I wrote it from a very real place of uh, just wanting to um, be honest about how I felt, which is kind of hard to do a lot of times, you know, with social media and everything. You want to present mm -hmm. your best version of yourself constantly there's a lot of pressure to do that and I just I feel like my songwriting and, and the way we wrote 
recently. It's just, we, we really always just want to be honest about stuff, even if it's hard. So who are you collaborating with at the moment then? Collaborating with Chris Clark, uh, plays bass in Tiny Stills. Mm. Um, and we've been doing a lot of new songwriting, uh, recently we recorded an EP that we were going to put out before, um, COVID happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a tour that we canceled in early March and April. And uh, we're kind of bummed that we haven't been able to put out any of the songs we recorded. It was three songs. Um, and we're sad about that. But hopefully in the fall, we'll, we'll put everything out and be able to go on tour again. Yeah. And uh, I mean, we, when it comes to music these days, you spend a lot of time promoting it in real life. It's not all just social media, is it? People still like that whole live experience. Yeah. I mean, I loved going to show. I I was at shows a lot as even as um, a person in the community here wanting to support local music and support other bands. And um, I miss going to shows. I miss being, you know, around friends and community and all that stuff. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, promoting it in real life and touring and doing all of that is really a necessary thing for a musician to do. And um, unfortunately, I mean, I think we all know what's going on right now. And it's 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 hard, but mm-hmm. um, I'm hopeful that maybe we can come back to normal sometime. <laughs> That'd be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> I mean, it would be great, wouldn't it? But yeah, I, I don't know. We'll see. It seems a long ways off. Yeah, honestly. we'll see what happens. But I mean, LA itself is a great place to be based if you are a band. I mean, there's you're at the, the heart of uh, a lot of creative uh, industries out there. And I should think that fuels your interest in what you're doing. Yeah, I, I originally moved to Los Angeles because I'm also a... a I work in the recording arts, so I'm an engineer mm-hmm. on top of being a musician. And I originally wanted to work in recording studios. So I moved out here hoping to be a part of that, like what you mentioned, um, a part of that community and that artistic world from the first place like 10 years ago. So mm-hmm. it's been really great living in Los Angeles and working around other creatives. And you do seem to find people who are like-minded, who want to pursue the arts and want to dedicate their lives to it. And it's an inspiring being around people who are creative in different ways. And what sort of success have you seen in the States with the music? Because obviously we want to see you do well over in the UK as well. But uh, has, uh, has there been chart placing so far? Is that uh, rather hard to achieve these days? We've had some success as an independent band. Mm-hmm. Um, everything that we've done has been DIY, crowdfunded, in- independent. Um, we're very small right now. We've done a couple national tours that have gone really well that mm-hmm. I'm really excited about. Um, and we've had the opportunity to open for some really great bands um, we were unfortunate. We were supposed to open for Red City Radio from Chicago in in June, and we've gotten a chance to open for Anthony Ranieri of Bayside and um, uh, and Motion City Soundtrack and and some other like pop uh, pop rock bands like emo bands and mm-hmm. that we really love to be able to play with Letters to Cleo. Um, so we've had some really great opportunities here in in the states, and touring has been great. Um, in terms of charting, God, I wish, (laughs) um, wouldn't that be great? But it's, it's, it's kind of an independent artist's venture right now. And Mm -hmm. I, I've been working at it for 10 years and this project active since 2014. So, um, we just do our best and, and to connect with people as any, any way that we can. And it is as much about having a song that means something to one person rather than 10,000 songs that mean nothing to nobody as well, isn't it? Sure. I mean, I think it's important to just connect and be real. You know, you want to just be, um, I don't know, I just try to be myself and be honest about the things I feel. Mm-hmm. It seems to be connecting and working. So I'm grateful for everyone who listens. And when it comes to influences and uh, the chance to maybe perform with some of those influences, has any of that happened as yet? 
I mean, yeah, letters to Cleo for sure. Be, we when we got to open for them, it it was like, uh, it was totally a dream come true. Just because I I've admired them and their work, um, even the way that that uh, they 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 did the uh, soundtrack to the Josie and the Pussycats. I mean, uh-huh. as a kid, I I loved you know I loved that, but but knowing that and being able to be a part of that and that that kind of cool pop. Um, sound that's still kind of biting like to me I loved that and uh that was definitely a a big milestone for us getting to open for them mm-hmm. well I mean I'm sure there's going to be uh, much more once we can get past lockdown you can get back on the road and it'd be great to, to hear your music in the UK as well I think it'd be exceptionally well received and it'd be great if some of the, the bands you're touring with were able to do a global tour and you maybe could travel with them as well which would be a nice thing to see yeah I would love to get to the UK I've never been like touring. I've visited, never mm. toured, but I, it's a total dream of mine to be able to get over there. Well, it'd be absolutely fantastic to have you over here. Give us all the details on the socials, et cetera, where we can find you and your music. Sure. You can find uh, everything on every platform, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook is at Tiny Stills. Um, tinystills.com has our tour dates and all of our merch sales, which of course we appreciate any sale we can make right now um, to supplement for touring Mm -hmm. income. So um, at Tiny Stills on all the socials. Tiny Stills are a band certainly to watch out for. Kaylin West, thank you for joining us for a chat. Thanks so much for having me. This is great. Thank you. From being a singer-songwriter to performing all over the place, around the world, Matthew James Nicholas uh, is a man who is normally not confined to four walls. However, he is at the moment, and he joins me now to tell me more about what he's up to. Hello, sir. Hello, Jason. How's it going? All good here. And uh, so you, you're normally out and about. I mean, you've, you've uh, performed on cruise liners around the world, and you know you are known for your, your singing abilities, and you're going to share some of that with us a little bit later on, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so tell, give, give us a, a bit of a potted history of what you get up to in your world, usually. Uh, anything really. Uh, I'm kind of uh, one of those people that I like to keep busy. I like to uh, always be dangling in, in different sorts of uh, work opportunities. So, you know, with bits of sort of theatre and singing work. And then uh, also quite like a bit of a buddy musician at the moment. So as the lockdown sort of has got, as we've been in lockdown, so I've started to pick up more instruments and start to sort of play and just add strings, more strings to my bow, really. <laughs> And uh, when it comes down to your performances, uh, you like a meaningful tune. Uh, We know that from the song you're going to do for us a bit later on. But you're also enjoying performing a few covers online too. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did. I I was uh, starting up an Ed Sheeran tribute uh, sort of earlier last year, Mm -hmm. um, which was kind of taken off quite nicely. And then uh, sort of work opportunities come between it. And then I was going. I went out to LA to join sort of Princess Cruises and was hopefully to go off and do something like uh, to, to progress with that as well. But I think it's always nice to sort of like if someone someone's songs mean something to you, it's always nice to uh, let them know as well that uh, their songs mean something to you as they do to them. And I know Ed write, writes a lot of songs for him and then releases it to everyone else, so they become sort of everybody else's songs when they're released. So I think that's uh, I think it's always quite a nice thing to do to cover other people's songs. Mm-hmm. And and when it comes down to uh, appearance and stuff like that, I mean, he's known for having a fair few tattoos. You are absolutely covered in tattoos as well. And, and this is something that you feature all over your Facebook stuff. You, you can't get, can't move without getting something. And, and there must be stories behind all of these as well, knowing you. Yeah, every every tattoo has every sort of tattoo has a, has a story, and I'm I'm pretty covered. I don't sort of get tattoos for the sake of it. But then again, like 
I wouldn't. Uh, I don't. I don't get tattoos to like to keep them covered either. So you've always got to kind of have them out. I've kind of got them all over my arm, and I've got a few bits sort of like on my chest. I've got a phantom one here, so this is kind of like my my empty one to remind me of sort of like the musical theatre as I grew up from my background and stuff. And then Starbridge is where I'm from, so I've got Starbridge on my arm, so you never forget your roots. So I think that's another. That's always important. And of course, I've got the all important Ed one on my arm here as well. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 that, again, that's something that, that it, it's all about that the whole persona that we we see when you or you're out doing stuff as well. But I mean, there must be private person time as well as performer time. And, and how do you balance those two things out, particularly when you're on a cruise? Because when you're making your way around the ship, you're pretty much on duty the whole time. You always have to be the person they saw singing that night. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's quite hard, for, I guess, for that sort of separation. Um, I kind of. Tend, I now kind of tend to keep a stage name, which kind of helps me uh, separate that kind of work life from sort of my private and personal life, which I think kind of, which is, which is, which helps actually. It's always that kind of, I guess it's where the, the performer starts and then sort of you begin or where you end, I guess, in a sense. But, um, you know, when you, when you're kind of seeing the world and you're around and yeah, like you said, like you're always on duty. So you've always, there's always that uh, essence that you've got to make sure that people sort of know, uh, keep, keep the sort of appearance for, for, for others like on, on the ship for guests as well because you can't really sort of go around acting like a delinquent on board a cruise ship, <laughs> especially when you're uh, always on duty because, uh, you know, safety first. Um, but even so, like, I, my escape is at home. My, my escape is always at home. So if I don't want to be found, if I don't want to be, you know, if I don't just want, if I don't want any sort of uh, any fuss, Home is where I kind of come and I kind of shut myself out for a bit while I while I recuperate from like a job or a certain performance or something. And and the fedora is part of your usual outfit. Um, I'm surprised we don't have a hat today. Uh, but is that is, <laughs> is that something you you sometimes hide behind, or is that all part of just the appearance and the show? I think it's I think it's to do with the appearance. I think um I spent you know I spent a lot of time in in theatre and theatrical shows and always playing characters. So. Uh, it's only been sort of within the past year that I've been able to sort of perform as myself as a singer. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's always quite fun for me to play around with sort of like fashions and sort of uh, um, uh, <laughs> appearances, I guess as well. And it's always it's always quite funny as well because you you get well, especially you get Ed Sheeran a lot being being ginger and being a singer and wearing glasses. So it's always trying to. Uh, come up with my sort of own image which I guess is is, is quite similar to Ed's because I'm quite laid back and I'm quite sort of uh, I like wearing my hoodies and looking you know looking like a teenager but at the same time like you, I do get mistaken quite a lot but I mean I got my hat here just in case like I do like to wear a hat every uh, every so often kind of <laughs> adds to the <laughs> adds to the look I guess and keeps the lockdown hair under control too Oh yeah, of course, yeah. But I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that I'm going to go bold. So any hair that I've got, I want to keep. So I, I'm not it, getting rid of that. It's not that bad. You can live with it. You just rock it. I'm sure you'll be able to get away with that. I, well, I, yeah. I, I try. But there we go. Okay. So <laughs> uh, as, as, as well as doing the covers and all the things that we, we've mentioned, obviously there is that uh, music that you're writing yourself. And and what's been your inspiration behind the sort of thing you've been doing there? Um, it's never like. It's never really something that I've ever done uh, very seriously. It's only since sort of lockdown has become a thing and, you know, you're kind of stuck in four walls. And I'm very lucky that we have, like, very good instruments in the house, like a piano and guitars and lots of sort of sound equipment to record and write. And then uh, there was a a family friend of ours that had passed away quite recently, a guy called um, Graham Martin, who uh, my family uh, have known for years. 
And I remember just sat kind of like in here, which is kind of like my little studio space that I've built up. And I just kind of started writing. And, you know, kind of lockdown kind of makes you think about, you know, the people that you don't get to see, especially friends and family that, you know, you can only kind of gonna kind of do a Zoom call and can't hug or, or, or touch anybody else. So it's uh, it was kind of like a just kind of thinking about other people and wanting yeah. to know that and wanting to let people know that, you know, you're always being thought of no matter what. So I think that was the kind of inspiration behind that. So. Well, we'll take a listen to that. Meanwhile, before we do, where do people find you online? Not only find your music, but also uh, yeah, they can track you down for, for bookings as required. Oh, well, if you, if you ever want to find me for, for bookings, uh, my agents are Artland House Associates in London. My agent is called Sharon, and she's such a, she's a, such a lovely person. That's at artlandhouseassociates.co.uk. Or you can find me on Instagram, which is at james underscore Lloyd UK. And that's uh, use that's my sort of performers sort of page. Yeah. Okay. We'll take a, a check out on there. Meanwhile, we're going to hear the song. But for now, it's been lovely having a chat with you. Yeah. You too, Jason. Thank you very much for your time.
to let me know if you're missing me at all. It's not so easy to be a little bit stronger now. As I'm standing on a platform waiting for our lost train. AKA the Black Country Wench has been sharing some fantastically funny stuff online to keep everybody smiling and joins me now for a bit of a chat. Hello. Hello, lover. All right. I'm all right. How are you doing? Uh, not too bad. Cool. Under the circumstances, but I say that anyway, but not too bad at all, lover. Now, you've been doing plenty of stuff online, having a brilliant time with uh, your audience. Although, I, I mean, the first time we met, uh, you were. Uh, uh, on stage, uh, painted in green uh, as, as a wicked witch, but you're really quite nice deep down, aren't you? Even if you do play some interesting parts. <laughs> That's right. I was. Play I've got my green on today. I must be partial to a bit of green, aren't I? You know. <laughs> yeah, I remember seeing you down at the um, Mary Stevens Hospice. Yep. Where we were rehearsing for our pantomime. Yeah. That seems a long time ago. Oh, it does. Mm. It's a couple of years now. But, uh, I mean, you're still putting smiles on faces. And although you're not out there on stage as you normally would be, uh, you've been sharing some brilliant gags online, haven't you? Well, I promised to do them five a day. You know how you need five a day for, like, fruit and vegetables and everything to make you well? I thought I'd put five a day. But, oh, Jason, I'm running out of jokes. <laughs> five a day. Five a day is a lot. Five a day, that's... Seven fives, I was never in the top column for maths, but seven fives is 35. 35. So I've got 35 jokes a week, oh. and I've been doing them for a couple of months, so, I mean, I might have been putting the same ones on over and over again. I don't know. But nobody I complained. Nobody I complained yet. <laughs> but you've got to do a bit of summers. You've got to be, do a bit of summers. So you to lighten the load for them. And someone's saying, I'm going to bed with a loft. And someone viewing them on a morning and getting up with a laugh. So that's lovely, Adrian, when they say things like that. And what's been your favourite joke so far? Oh, my. Oh, you've put me on the spot now, eh? You really? I mean, I, I, I love them all. I choose them, you know, mainly with the black country, you know, where um, it's a very naive kind of humour. Like when they say, um, oh, Flurry, how's married life? This is always lovely. I've took to it. I don't like my husband much, but you'll call have everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a, it's like a uncomplicated humour. Not, not jokes so much as joking, bust your side, you know, all this alternative comedy or anything. Uh, but it's a, a uniqueness, you know, to our area where we're a little bit sad, but we're to the button as well, you know. Oh, you are certainly unique as well, which I think is a, a part of what makes it special. <laughs> but uh, I mean, you well, get... well I, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just myself, really. I, I, <laughs> when I put my videos on, I think they might think I'm making it up, but no, I mean it's all the truth. And my mark, he's a little bit sad. <laughs> and I mean, it helps. It, no, Jason, I've got to talk quiet because in the other room. But it does help if your partner's a little bit, you know, I hardly the ticket. Because then you'll get a lot of material, you know, don't you, from that. <laughs> He's a going mad, my Mark. Because what am I doing, Jason? 
I love shopping. Uh And, of course, I've been able to go out, but I keep ordering stuff online. And he keeps saying, there's another parcel come. Another parcel. Oh, sometimes I don't know what I've sent for. It's getting that bad now. But, yeah, I've got to do something. I've sent for such a big tin of um, dark oak. Staying yeah. for where I go, I should never get rid of it. Everything in my garden now is dark oak. Everything the birdhouse, the sheds, the uh, spindles, <laughs> the flower. I don't know what to paint the rabbit to say it because I mean, I gotta get you, I gotta get you on it. So it's the truth. I, I aim it all in it. It's how big the tin is. See, I, I don't know, me, I don't know measurements anyway. Sorry, don't you want to ask me anything? Sorry, I'll talk. But, but I, I just love listening to you, and I mean, I'm loving the fact that you say you have got these videos going online. And uh, it gives a little window into your world, and it's like you, you tell it, it's all real, all the fun that happens, and uh, it, it, it's, it's about sharing and putting a smile on people's faces, as you say. And you've been getting some absolutely fantastic feedback as well, haven't you? Oh yes. Well, they love the black country, and abroad, whether they've gone abroad to live, you know, left our shores, they still love to hear the lingo. Uh, I mean, and, and writing it down in black country, it's a bit of a struggle for them. They say, you know, call you put it in proper English, <laughs> <laughs> but it's pilot. I write in black country. Somebody said a script of mine once, or a little note I wrote down. I said, Oh, Marion, you've wrote it in black country. I said, yeah, yeah. I write in black country, I speak in the black country and, um, you know, that's how I do it. I can turn, uh, t- uh, tran- tran- what's the posh word, translate, yeah? Okay. I can translate most jokes into our dialect, you know. If I think it's funny and it'll adapt, I can turn it into our dialect so that people can get a bit more humour out on it. Because I think we're funnier than oh anywhere really the black country you know uh, we are without knowing it without knowing it Jason you know you're living proof of that <laughs> you go around the market you know and there's some sponges and I say hey no do I have one of them and five pence a piece you can have two for ten pence around the corner <laughs> and, I, and I am serious. And I am deadly serious. So, you know, we've got a uniqueness. Uh, uh, and, of course, they're interfering with us. Now, if you uh, we, we could all go out now on this lockdown, but if you was going out in Quarry Bonk without a coat <laughs> on a day like this when it's uh, windy, somebody would pass you by, who you'd never see today now, and they say, you went in a coat on today, you'll get froze, you'll be froze to death. <laughs> and you think, well, what a cheek. But no. It's a directness. Yeah. It's a thought for you. It's thinking about you. It is telling you what their opinion is. Look at her. Bare arms on a day like this, you want to coat on. And they tell you. You'll catch tell it you, Jason. Now, now, some areas might be offended by it, but I never am. <laughs> I never am because I know it's out of, you know, we think about each other. And times like this, round here in the black country, we support each other. And that's been shown, and it, on all Facebook, every where the kindness people are doing to each other and nowhere like the black country for that. Absolutely. Well, Molly, it's always good to speak to you. How do people find you online? (laughs) (laughs) They'll have to try. I'm hopeless. I only know I'm on Facebook. Yeah. And I'm also on Marlene, a black country wench. That's my, you know, you'll put M-I-R-L-E-N-E, Marlene, a black country wench. My daughter, Vanessa, put me on that because I'm now Buddhist. But uh, put me on that, that link, and uh, Marley. And if you type Marley in, into anything, I'll come up. Yeah. I'm there, Marley. 
Just... Yeah, I'm there. <laughs> they call me, they me. <laughs> Enjoy your five a day. I'm sure you'll have loads more original material because I know you've got a joke book as big as your heart and your heart is absolutely yeah, Oh, big. yes. I shall give up. I shall make them up if I can find them. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for ringing, Josh. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, I'm looking all right. <laughs> With great new material from JJR Films and Vlogs being released all the time, they have got something available now which looks at the awareness surrounding Mental Health Week with their film Mind. To tell us more, I'm joined by Josh Griffiths. Hello. Hello. So, um, first of all, uh, tell us a, a bit about what brought you to produce this uh, short Mind. For me, um, it's done a lot on telly, but it's always the females going through the mental health. And mm. although that's not a bad thing, I just felt that we needed to discuss what males go through as well because they go through it just as bad and I don't think it's shown enough on TV to sort of raise awareness that males do go through it and it's okay to talk about it. Yeah, well, we know that, that male suicide is significantly higher proportion of those who sadly take their own lives and it's certainly something which we as a community need to do something about, uh, realise people are, are there for them and that uh, hopefully that most problems can be got over without, you know, uh, the, the stresses that are often there and, and some, some of it's a real stress others it's then I, I imagined by the situation that they're in and the, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes with this and uh, I, I know that when you came to, to write this you put a lot of time and effort into it for me because I wanted to get it right I didn't want it to be one of these that they do on the telly where it's just dramatic and all I wanted the people watching it to also feel what the person inside the film is feeling as well so to do that I contacted Mind Mm -hmm. And not only did I speak with mine themselves, who've obviously got patients that are going through it, I also spoke to my friends and stuff that I know have been through it as well, so they can give almost like a first encounter of what they're going through and what they went through, so I can channel all of this to put it into the film, as well as editing as well, so that the people watching it can not only relate to the character who's going through it, but can also feel the emotions that the character's going through as well. So, I mean, what, what is the point of view? Tell us a bit of the synopsis on the story itself. Well, Mind starts off with these two brothers, and they're happily, you know, they look like a normal brothers, they're living together, they're having fun, and obviously there's no mum and dad in the situation, but they seem to be happy, they seem to be coping. However, you can see that my character in the film is sort of struggling slightly, but he's keeping it from his younger brother, and then all of a sudden his younger brother goes out and doesn't come back home. And that's when my mental health in the film starts to deteriorate more and more. Mm -hmm. So you're exploring what's going on uh, with loss, uh, a, a lack of understanding on how something could happen, and uh, really taking the, the chance to uh, sort of explore the character behind it rather than just the, the obvious symptoms to the people watching in from the outside. Yeah, definitely. And when you, you know, came to approach that side of it, and you say you, you've spoken to people on there, how then did you get into that sort of you know, right mindset for you? Because, I mean, as, as an actor, this must have really pushed the limits. It was. It's, to be fair, although it's a short film, it was one of the hardest to portray because, obviously, not only did I want to portray it in the correct manner, I needed to, like you say, get my mind in that sort of mindset to be able to portray the emotion, to portray that guilt, to portray that happiness. And to be fair, I can't really say how I got into it because it was one of them I just listened to people. I went on who I've been through because obviously there's many times where I've sat with a friend face to face and I've seen them break down in front of me and explain what they're going through. 
So from that, I just sort of copied what they were going through. And it, it was hard. It took a lot of takes. It took a lot of time. And it took a lot of energy, to be fair. Mm-hmm. And obviously, uh, during this uh, Mental Health Awareness Week, we're thinking of those who, who need some assistance. We're also trying to remove the, the stigma uh, from you know, admitting or working through a, a mental health problem and, and just hopefully uh, take that weight off whereby, you, you know, you're not going to be judged for this. Yeah, definitely. Well, it, well, that's what the whole thing is. If you talk, then, you know, talk to someone, even if obviously at this situation it's over the phone. But talk to someone, tell people how you're feeling, because if you don't tell anyone, they're not going to be able to support you. Mm-hmm. And it's about getting that support. So uh, where can people go to find out more about the film and see this? Is it available to watch online now? Well, mind is on my YouTube channel at the moment under JGR Films and Vlogs with 2Gs. And obviously you can catch up on all my latest stuff on Facebook, which is just Joshua Griffiths. Instagram Joshua Griffiths 2 and on Twitter at Josh Joshua G98. So check out all the details there and you'll be able to see a, a quite a wide ranging amount of things that you've worked on. And uh, as ever, I think you've still got some stuff which is under consideration in a number of film festivals at the moment as well. I have, yeah. Well, at the moment, I've got, um, like I say, I'm working on another JGR Films project which is called Why Did We Have to Grow Up, mm-hmm. which is quite an emotional drama again. I'm touching onto my emotional side for some reason, not the death and murder that I'm used to. Mm. And that obviously explores the gr- what happens when you grow up and you can't be that child anymore that can just live carefree. Yeah. And then I'm, I'm working outside of that now and sort of still keeping the JGR film's name but working with other production companies too. Um, I'm writing an abuse one at the moment which is going to explore the side effects of abuse and what it's like behind the door mm-hmm. for a female going through something like this. And I'm also working on an action epic called Splattered Blood, which is a revenge thriller with a twist. So I've got lots going on at the moment. Well, lots of time to write at the minute. Obviously not much opportunity to film, but uh, we look forward to seeing the the fruits of your labours in the not-too-distant future. For now, Josh Griffiths, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Peter Davis, you will know from A-Flat Studios and some of the brilliant work he does with upcoming artists. He's also a singer and songwriter in his own right and joins me now for a chat. Hello. How are you, mate? How are you? I'm good. I trust everything is going well in your world. Yes, uh, lockdown is, um, well, it's a bit taxing, but, you know, we get through it, don't we? Yeah, because often you'll be out on the road and you do an absolutely fantastic Depeche Mode tribute, don't you? I do indeed. It, it all started about, uh, I want to say about three or four years ago now, and uh, on Sunday morning I put something on uh, on the internet as you do, and uh, within an hour or so, it had two or three thousand hits, and I thought, well, something in that, so, um, <laughs> you know, I'll stop. You've already got a fair few followers because of the work that you do, so people know of you for uh, your production work and the great stuff you do in studios, taking some uh, raw artists and turning them into real stars. And, uh, you know, this yeah, Depeche Mode sound that uh, you produce as a tribute is something that in some way spills over a little into your influences when it comes to your own singer-songwriting prowess as well. It does indeed, yes. Um, I guess I've always been really influenced by the band themselves, you know. Um, well, generally the, the electronic sound, I mean, when I was a, a kid it was it was the up-and-coming thing and so obviously I just progressed from that. Um, I, I guess we, <laughs> the funny story really, mate, is, is it all started really when I was about 12, 12 and a half, and we're in history, if you will, <laughs> and uh, one of my mates uh, turned to me and said, well, uh, should we start a band? And I said, 
yeah, okay, then what do you want to play? I'll play keyboards, I said. <laughs> so that's how it all started, really. I, uh, I saved up my money and uh, my pocket money and different paper rounds and whatever, and bought myself my, my very first synthesizer when I was about 14. Mm -hmm. But but this is this is where, though, you've chosen the right instrument there because, I mean, you're around my sort of age, so we're talking 80s and we're talking the fact that suddenly this equipment, it wasn't as digital as it is now, but you'd got enough there to uh, allow you to be able to create some amazing sounds. And as uh, with, with digital technology now, this has just snowballed into any instrument being at your fingertips. Exactly, yeah. I mean, uh, back in the day, they were uh, the cutting-edge thing, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, but obviously nowadays, I mean, we, we can take literally any sound from anywhere i mean you know you can you can literally tap a spoon on on, uh, on a table and and turn it into a hit record so i mean at the end of the day it's the, the possibilities are endless and and you use some of this in the work that you do but yours is very much uh, not so much a, a traditional but a sort of uh, a proper synth sound it is when you say synthesizer it's exactly what you imagine to, to come out of a synthesizer and that is just retro, but also fresh at the same time. It is indeed. I mean, these things often have a, a way of uh, coming back around in a circle anyway, and the, the analogue sound is, is quite in at the moment. And um, I guess the, the whole synth-pop thing, it, it, it comes and goes and comes and goes, but, I mean, it's always been a thing that I've always done anyway. So, you know, but uh, somebody said to me the other day, well, you know, uh, how come you write like a, you do? I said, well, to be honest with you, it's what I know. Mm -hmm. that, that, and you write what you know, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, that's, that's why I do it, how, how I do it. Like. Yeah, but it's also what you enjoy, and uh, I know that is your sound. You love performing it, you love bringing it to audiences, and with the Depeche Mode tribute, I mean, you know what those audiences like, and it gives them, I suppose, in some way, an extension of the music that they've heard, but with your own personality added to it as well. That's true. I mean, uh, people are not silly. They know that, that I'm, I'm not Dave Gone, I'm not Depeche Mode, but on the other hand, they like the music, so they they know what they're getting when they come and see one of my gigs. Do you know what I mean? I mean, the the struggle really, in some ways, is convincing people that, that they're getting that kind of genre with my own stuff. But I mean, you know, you've got to get it out there. Otherwise, uh, again, uh, the other day, uh, somebody said to me, well, "Well, why are you doing this now?" Well, I mean, I'm 52 now, so I said, "Well, at the end of the day, if I don't get this stuff out there." It, it, it's, it stays in my studio, it stays in my hard drive, it, <laughs> it never goes where it's intended to, and that's the general public, do you know what I mean? And it certainly deserves to be heard, and it's a, a sound which, I say, has got uh, an audience, you know that from the tribute and your own gigs, uh, you also know from the fantastic reactions you've been getting online, and it's, it is great to see something coming out of it. And again, I think what it does as well is it shows the people who are using your studio what you can do and how it can work. And it just takes that little bit of creativity, which you have to, to, to bring this music to life. I guess um, the reason I've stopped in the music business for, this is my 40th year, would you believe? <laughs> um, is you, you have to keep reinventing yourself. You have to diversify. You have to um, keep making what you do current. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and, and what I'm doing at the moment is just another string to that, really. Well, give us all the the background on AFLAT and uh, how people can get in touch. And obviously, you can start coaching people now. You'll be able to do some work with them online when it comes to listening to their music and start giving some ideas on how to get it into right, the right shape so when you can get into the studio, you can get it recorded. Well, if people want to uh, just uh, email me, um, that's aflatstudios.co.uk.
um, then obviously I'll, I'll get back in touch with them and give them a full list of and rundown of what I do. So grab the email address off the uh, the website there, have a look at that. But when it comes to your music, you are sharing this online and you're doing some fantastic Facebook Live performances as well. I am, yeah. Ob obviously, uh, as a musician, we're all uh, there's no work out there to, to go and play live at the moment. Hopefully that that'll change, you know, sort of towards the end of the year. But uh, at the moment, yeah, it's. It's, it's getting yourself out there using the medium of Facebook, really. Uh, and I'm grateful for it, because otherwise we, we wouldn't be able to do anything. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, uh, just keep an eye out for me. I'll, I'll be I'll usually post some sort of an ad uh, that uh, tells people what I'm doing and, and when I'm going to do it, either my own stuff or, or the Depeche stuff. Um, obviously, the Depeche Mode stuff, that's that's a lot more popular than my own stuff at the moment. But, uh, you know, hopefully that will change. Yeah, <laughs> but we you, never know. You will be as big as Depeche Mode one day. That's fine. They'll, uh, they will be doing know. Pete Davis tribute acts when they're in the 70s. That'll be how it works. I don't know whether I'll get to the 30 million albums kind of uh, <laughs> genre, but, you know, we can always hope. Give it a go. <laughs> so, I mean, what are people searching for? So, Pete, Peter Davis online? Yeah, uh, it'll be, be iFlat Studios. Yeah. Um, Type in iFlash Studios, something will come up, a link of some description, either <laughs> to the YouTube channel, to the, one of the websites, or, or to the Facebook, or whatever. Um, all my own names are Peter C. Davis. Um, I mean, the, the single itself, I've got a, there's a single out at the moment, uh, Holding Your Arms Tonight, um, and that's out on iTunes. So, you know, uh, by all means, download that. Well, we're going to take a listen to that now, and uh, see, uh, the fantastic video that goes along with it makes it... Uh, so easy to, to watch if you're looking for it online that way and uh, listen to, uh, obviously, as you say, through iTunes. You can pick up a copy there. But, uh, Pete, thanks for joining us. Keep up the good work. Look forward to more from you in the near future. Yeah, and thank you, Jason. It's a great medium you've got, mate.
the horror genre and think you can tell a tale in two minutes then there's a competition out there for you to tell us more i'm joined now by alan birch hello hello good morning nice to speak to you well, good to talk to you too and uh you are in the midst of a competition which runs through until june and gives people the opportunity to come up with something really creative and a little bit horrible during this time of lockdown that's right yes i mean it may not be in the best possible taste but there's a lot of horror fans out there i know and they're all locked down and unable to get to their proper film studios but also we've tried to make this competition open to anybody for the first time if you've always wanted to be in your own horror film or make one and you haven't got the equipment then this is specifically for people to shoot on their mobile phones well we've already so seen that Blair Witch uh, can make things on a low budget and still make them work However, rather than just taking the dodgy camcorder footage of that classic, you're making them do it in two minutes as well. And they had a good 90 minutes to scare the hell out of people. Yes, I know, yeah. Well, I think two minutes, I mean, I've shot a film myself and put it on Facebook to show what can be achieved. But, I mean, last year we had a short horror film festival for films up to 10 minutes long. And it is remarkable how much of a story you can fit into that time. I think it's also a good discipline to sh keep a, a film really short. It stops you doing all sorts of wastage footage, you know, stuff is boring for most people, which you might think is sort of sets the atmosphere, but in actual fact, if you're not used to doing films, then it can sort of be quite, it can be quite drudgy. And it's, I just think it's a nice idea to, have, to keep it to two minutes. It then makes it not something that's achievable for, for, non-professionals as well. And it does make the judging process somewhat easier if all you've got to do is watch a two-minute film. That's true. Yes, that's very true. 
I mean, fortunately, we've got a panel of judges. They are the, the winners from the, the film festival that we had earlier this year, the 10 minute one. So, we, I mean, there's, there's some pretty good films from that as well. And I just thought it'd be a nice idea to include the winners to be part of the, the judging panel. So I, I probably see if we have hundreds, I mean, we're up to about 20 at the moment, but if we have hundreds, I will sift through and I will cull the worst. Mm -hmm. And then the, the, the panel of judges, sort of maybe 20 or so to look at. Yeah, but don't let the culling be anything to put you off. It's just, it's horror genre after all, culling is a thing. So yeah. uh, get involved, have a go. And I mean, you've got plenty of acting experience yourself as well as all the, uh, the other stuff you get up to. So uh, what do you think makes a, a good film from not only your actor's point of view, who are going to probably be the amateurs or, or, or the dog in this case, um, yeah. and, uh, and how to actually create it from a, a production point of view? I think too, you've got to believe in it yourself. There's no point just going at it and thinking, well, this is a, it is a bit of fun, yes, I know, but the, the best films are, are done by those people who actually believe in the characters they're playing rather mm -hmm. than sort of treating it as just a bit of, bit of total nonsense. So, uh, yeah, and it, it, is, it is hard, but at least with film, you can have a couple of goes at it. You mm -hmm. don't, have to, don't have to do the first take obviously it's a lot different to if you're a, an amateur theater actor for instance you'll you'll appreciate once you're on stage that is it you you make a mess of it you've got to live with it with the filming at least you can have several goes and you can edit it and get the cuts right and it's uh, i mean it's, it's cheating in a way really <laughs> i mean I, I i love theater work I, I love being on the stage uh it certainly gets your heart rate going and if you do sort of dry up, you have to get yourselves out of it. I, I hate being on stage and having a, a prompt. Mm. I've, I've never been like that at all. So generally, when we do theatre stuff, there isn't a prompt, and you have to get yourself out of it. And that can certainly get the adrenaline going. <laughs> but like I say, with, with film, you haven't got any of that. You can just crack on with it and just make a mess of it and start again. And if we, uh, the, the fact there isn't any processing time, that is, is all digital in... In most cases here, your camera phone, it's, uh, it's nice and simple. The delete button can be your friend. Exactly, yes, it, it's all there. I mean, I've, I've, like I said, I've, I've done a little movie myself, and there's so many websites that you can look at. There's so many tutorials as well. You can go to YouTube and get some ideas. And there's also so many websites you can download free uh, sound effects from. And they can inspire as well. <laughs> have a look at some horror sound effects and hear these things and think, oh, I know what that sounds like. And then you can add that to your film as well. And away you go. Right, so give us the full name and the details on how we find the competition. Right, here we go. It is quite wordy. It's because it's set in, a, I mean, we're inviting anybody from anywhere to do it, but it's called the Black Country Two Minute Lockdown Horror Shorts Film Festival. Now, you, you don't have to search for that on the, <laughs> I guess that is a bit of a mouthful. If you just go to our website, which is weepingbankproductions.co.uk, all the details are there. So weepingbankproductions and sticker.co.uk on the end of that. And I mean, you, you get involved in so many projects. I mean, give, give us some of your back catalogue where people will know you from, because you look slightly different with the beard at the moment. That, that's yeah. also you haven't got a beard. It's a lockdown beard. <laughs> I haven't bothered to, uh, <laughs> I don't need to shave at the moment. Uh, yeah, background-wise, I mean, I started in youth theatre. I've never had any formal training. All, all my sort of training has been done on, on, the, on the hoof, as it were. Um, so, yeah, then I went into uh, a, a, 
amateur production company called, uh, God, what were they called? They, they were based at the Robin Hood Theatre, as was where the Merry Hill Centre is now. Mm -hmm. And they were called the Citizens Theatre. Uh, from there, I went with the Flying Ducks Theatre Company, where I did the Inspector Drake plays mm -hmm. with Dave Tristram writing all those. And I was with him for about... 25 years, I guess, doing nearly every play that he ever wrote. I think there were a couple I didn't do. He wrote a musical once, and I, I said, I, I can't, I don't sing. I, I've never tried. I'm not really a musical fan, and that was one that I didn't do. <laughs> and then, yeah, we did the, the two Inspector Drake films, yeah. the very low-budget indie films, and on the set of those, I met Alan Smith, A.G. Smith, as he likes to be known, who writes horror stories, ghost stories. And we just found we had a mutual interest in that, in that sort of genre, that, that type of stuff. And uh, we just kept in touch. And then we decided together to do some theater stuff with his, his writings. And we've, we've taken them on tour for the last couple of years and they've been very successful. We went to the, um, the, the old joint stock in Birmingham as one of the places we did, which is a lovely little theater. Uh, we took it to London as well, which was tough because it, it's if you're not known in London, mm -hmm. then trying to get an audience is, is pretty difficult. But we did okay. And then I sort of moved into this idea of maybe holding this film festival, which I decided I thought about it doing it last year. And then we, we actually held it at the beginning of, the, of this year, just before the lockdown yeah. came in. It was uh, towards the end of February. So we were lucky with that. And then thinking, well, now this, this has happened, this lockdown has happened, there's, there's not much you can do theatrical-wise. Um, I don't expect there's many um, film festivals happening either, because you can't have gatherings of loads of people. Mm -hmm. So I, this, this is where this idea for the, um, the two-minute lockdown film festival came from. You can do it without leaving your house. But hopefully do it with also without causing too many interesting stains on the carpet as well, because that would be a bad move. Yeah. Think about what you're doing when you're doing it. You've got two minutes and you've got the whole horror genre to work with however you want to play it. Give us those details again of where people can find out what to do and how to enter. Right, okay. We are. If you go to our website, which is weepingbankproductions.co.uk, all the details are there, but we there is then a link from there to a website called Film Freeway, which is open to... I mean, the whole world can get access to that. Mm -hmm. We have actually had a couple of films from the USA. We've had one from the United Arab Emirates. And, uh, yeah, so it's, although, like I say, we're calling it the Black Country Film Festival. It is open to the whole world. And basically, yeah, just produce a two-minute-ish. I mean, we're not going to be too strict. If somebody runs over to two minutes and 30 seconds, <laughs> that'll be fine as well. Uh, but the main thing is, I mean, prize-wise, there are prizes what most filmmakers really want is the laurel to put on their films to say it's an award-winning film. Yeah. I am dipping into my own pocket mm -hmm. and paying t-shirt to be made, one <laughs> unique t-shirt for the, the overall winner. But it's also attracted the interest of uh, a company called MRG. It's an American distribution company mm -hmm. who, have, who have approached me and said, send us the best ones. And we will look at those with a view to put them on a, a DVD and they will be distributed around the world. And they, they have links with Amazon and YouTube and Walmart. And it's a guy called Todd Rogers, 
just get his name out there from Meridian Releasing Group. So, yeah, if your film's good enough, there's a chance for it to be included in a quarantine collective DVD they're producing, and it can be your film could be seen by hundreds of thousands of people. I'm just glad that you're an actor and you can do all these strange wordplay things that you're throwing at me there. We'll uh, look forward to seeing the, uh, the entries. Uh, will there be uh, an online shortlist as well? Uh, well, yes. Yeah, I shall make it all available for everybody to see. So, uh, yeah, just send your films in and uh, have some fun with it, I think, is the main thing. Sounds like a fantastic plan. Alan Birch, thank you for joining us. OK, thank you. <laughs>
Yeah, and I think you know it's very valid. Whatever people want to do during this time, we should support them in that. I think lots of creatives are using any room in their house to make live concerts, which is great. It's lovely seeing you know the London shows. Their casts are still putting out concerts all over the place. Um, but yeah, like you say, there are other people who are using the time to reflect upon projects they've wanted to do that maybe they haven't had the time to yet. Um, and, I, and I don't think that putting material out is the only way that people can grow and develop. And I've certainly been having conversations with people who've got projects in the pipeline. And I think we can do as much as we can to support those people as well. Um, and I think actually when theatre in general does go back, there'll be so many exciting projects because people will have had this six month period to develop their ideas and we, we love new writing and there's some wonderful, wonderful new plays being written and, and people flexing their writing muscles. So lots of things to come. We'll have to wait and see what that's going to be. But as far as the Blue Orange goes, I mean, you'd normally have your panto at Christmas. Fingers crossed we'll be back for that. I mean, I know you'd love to be around for your autumn season as well, but we don't know exactly what's going to happen and, and uh, what possibilities are going to be there. But, uh, I mean, what ideas have you got in the pipeline? Because obviously you're creating stuff yourself. You are also directing, aren't you? Uh, yeah, we had lo we have lots of things um, lined up that we've talked about. We've talked about trying to have an interactive experience because you know at the theatre we've also got the studio and the bar and the foyers. We we love the idea of creating some sort of uh, probably a family show where people can go on a on a journey and we're going to build a little bit of an amusement park. Um, in, our, in our studio and have actors that interact with people on the way round and then it ends with a performance in the theatre space and then afterwards we're going to have sort of themed uh, decorations of the bar and yeah we haven't decided on a title yet but we're trying to create something from scratch which is very interactive um, so that's something that we're, we're still working on which we can do. Uh, in isolation. But immersive theatre itself, I mean, I, I've been to some uh, uh, for family and uh, yeah, more uh, adult themed shows which are sort of dragging you into a, like murder mysteries and stuff like that. And I mean, just that sort of level of involvement can uh, really spark an enthusiasm for theatre that which might not uh, have been there. And particularly if you're looking at a family audience, you could be getting kids into something which they become part of and then they appreciate the experience so much more. Absolutely, and I think when there are so many different options for people in terms of how they spend their family time, they want they want something that they're going to love, they're going to remember, the kids are going to have a great time. And like you said, that's true of an adult audience as well. We had our first ever adult panto, Tinderella, just before <laughs> Christmas. Um, and we had audiences in for Tinderella that we hadn't had at the theatre before ever. Um, and we did a lot of market research into where we where we found audience for that show and 60% or something hadn't classed themselves as regular theatre goers and so it was so nice to see a complete new audience that wouldn't usually be in a theatre just absolutely loving it um, and we had people leave one show and book tickets and come back in for the next show the same night um, <laughs> because you know, it was such a different experience and like you said I think people are looking for stuff they can be involved with, they feel connected to. We try and do lots of stories about people's lives in and around the city. You know, it, it's fascinating, some of the people that live in the Midlands. And I think if we can create work that people really connect to and feel a part of, then they're, they're going to love coming to see us even more. 
And you mentioned the theatre school who were looking at uh, Kinky Boots, obviously that's on hold at the moment. But I mean, when it comes down to the work that you do there, that again, it gives another great opportunity for people to get involved. They're not necessarily going to work in theatre, but what they're going to do is get uh, an experience and build a confidence. And uh, yeah, a lot of them though, will go on to be performers. Yeah, so we have, there's a youth theatre that runs at the Blue Orange on a Saturday. And like you say, for lots of those kids, it's a chance to let their uh, creative side out and they make friends and they socialise and they build some confidence. And like you say, a lot of them don't necessarily look at performing as a career, but I think they get so much out of the other skills that, that theatre brings to people. Um, and then we have our two-year uh, diploma programme uh, at Midlands Academy Musical Theatre, and they're all training for a career in the industry. Mm. So they graduate uh, with a showcase in the West End, um, and they're all mentored by somebody from the different West End shows. Um, but yeah, they, I think, are struggling because the year group that are graduating are going to be known as the COVID-19 year group. Yeah. Um, and they're having their showcase postponed, so that'll be later in the year. And like you say, Kinky Boots was going to be their opportunity for agents and casting directors to come and see their talents and what they've been doing. And yeah, it's hard, I think. Those, those people have moved to Birmingham from all over the UK to train with us. Um, and it, yeah, it's really difficult. Their big major final musical being uh, delayed, especially because it was Kinky Boots. Like I just love that show. <laughs> Incredible. You just wanted to borrow some of the outfits. Absolutely, I'll be there. I'll have my stilettos on. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so, where do we find out more about the work of the Blue Orange? And of course, keep checking back for when you do return. Yeah, absolutely. So um, jwtheatres.co.uk has got information about all of our own shows. It's also got the Blue Orange and a bit about Midlands Academy of Musical Theatre. Or if you're just looking for what's on at the Blue Orange Theatre, you can go to blueorangetheatre.co.uk. Get all the details that way. James, always love to speak to you. Looking forward to getting back to the venue as soon as it is safe to do so. Social distancing allowing, etc. But uh, we look forward to all the work that you guys are putting in down there and we'll see you again soon. Yeah, thank you for having me. Can't wait to see you soon. That's your lot for this week. Thank you so much for joining us back with episode 570 next week. I'll see you then. Ta-ra for now. Goodbye from the milk bar. Goodbye from the milk bar. Goodbye from the milk bar. Goodbye from the milk bar, yeah. Goodbye from the milk bar, yeah.